At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Chronicles of Aguna. We are live on YouTube, whether you're watching us on there or listening to us on audio. Welcome to the show. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. On today's agenda, we're going to discuss Captain Erdegaard's brilliance. We're going to talk Nicholas Jova. Is he Arsenal's unsung hero? The set-piece coach, that is. Doing a wonderful job this season. We're going to discuss Arteta's evolution as a manager. And we're going to talk Ed Eddie Nketiah is the writing on the wall for Eddie Nketiah because he's been overlooked for that centre-forward position twice in the last two games. Not good for him. Will he still be at the club come next season? We'll get into all of that. I've got a very special guest with me as well. Make sure you leave a like. Make sure you subscribe. You know the drill by now. It's the Chronicles of Aguna podcast and we are live. How's it going, everybody? Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Let me introduce uh, my very, very special guest because we've got a bit of a, a bit of a Cypriot takeover going on. So, um, to introduce the brilliant, the one and only, Sophie Nicolau. <laughs> what a way to start the show with the best national anthem the world ever. Has to offer. It's better Come on, than God 2000... save the Queen. All right. Harry, 2004, this national anthem. Oh, my gosh. I lost count how many times. I I even listened to the remix versions of this national anthem. What a moment, eh? Are there there remixed versions of that? That's incredible. Yeah. I had no idea. I was just like, let me find the bog standard. uh, (laughs) The thing is, for those that don't know, we have the same national anthem as Greece. And I always find it hilarious when Cyprus do play Greece on the rare occasion in football that they just play it once because there's no point in playing it <laughs> twice. And then both sets of players just sing it at the same time. Uh, but it is very much a Cypriot takeover here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast tonight. Um, looking forward to this one, Soph. We did uh, a breakdown of the West Ham win last night, which is available mm. on the channel and on the podcast feed, which you can catch up with where I kind of gave my thoughts for best part of an hour, I think. Uh, before we dived into your questions. That's how much there was to talk about yesterday. And when it's positive stuff, I feel like you've got to make the most of it because there is a lot of um, difficult moments as well as an Arsenal supporter, as we all know. Um, But I wanted to to sort of home in on a couple of particular topics tonight, Soph, because um, I think we got to talk Martin Odegaard because it feels like 
yesterday was that performance. And I guess the Liverpool game, he was really good as well. But it was that performance that you looked at and you went, that's the Martin Odegaard we all want to see week in, week out. I want to talk about the set pieces because that's something that Arsenal have improved on dramatically. And I think maybe goes under the radar a little bit. We're going to talk Arteta's evolution as a manager as well. And a bit about Eddie and Ketia. But before we do that, Soph, um, your kind of overall thoughts on yesterday. I mean, I was at the London Stadium and just sitting there watching them leave at half time was, was was pretty special. I've got to say, like, <laughs> I know it's miserable for them, but for us, it was great. Yeah, it was uh, last time I was at the London Stadium. Was it 2-1? Not last seat. 2-1 Eddie scored the winner, I think. It was 2-1. Was that last La- season or the season before? No, it would have been the season before because yeah, season before. last season we were 2-0 up, weren't we? And we ended up drawing 2-2. And uh, Saka missed the penalty. That's that game, right? Yeah, correct. I love it because there's nothing better, right, than winning in a London derby. There's nothing better than beating West Ham, who have gotten a little cocky lately, um, riding off the coattails of their European trophy. Uh, and of course, now the history with Declan Rice adds another little extra spice to it. And what I loved, Harry, was they humiliated us at home this season. We didn't play like we were a team that should have been humiliated, but that score, that result, really humiliated us, the players, the manager, and David Raya, God bless him, stopped it from being exceptionally embarrassing at 3-0. Yeah. So to see them leaving at halftime, glorious. This is what sports is all about. These are the moments that you enjoy as a fan. It was absolutely soul-crushing for them. And you know what was the best part about them leaving, Harry? Go on. Was that... They never believed there was a way back. Maybe the old Arsenal, you would have stuck it out and you would have thought, you know what, second half will come out, they'll crumble, you know. But they knew that there was no way back. And this is what I like about this evolution of Mikel Arteta's team, is that when we're down and out, you know, um, I think there are teams now that don't count us out the way we used to be. So, yes, to answer your question in a nutshell, that exodus, that mass exodus was a beautiful thing to watch. And yesterday I thought was probably the most complete performance under Mikel Arteta. It's a big statement. It's a big statement, but it's it's one that isn't far from the truth. You think about how good we were defensively, offensively, um, you know, the way that we... I thought managed the game quite well, even in the first 15 or so minutes. I'm not saying West Ham were ever on top, really, but there was a period where they managed to nick the ball high up quite a few times within sort of the first 15 minutes. And you started to look at it and you think, are Arsenal really at it here today? And and we seem to kind of weather that storm and get through that. Mikel Arteta made a a tactical tweak, which we talked about on the show yesterday, um, just pushing Ben White into the midfield alongside Declan Rice when in possession. That really made a difference, I felt. Um, the greatest thing, I think, about them all leaving early was that the trains were dead by the time I got out of the stadium, <laughs> which was beautiful because that's not a place that you want to be travelling home from on the train. It, it can be a bit of a nightmare. Let's start with um, with Captain Erdegaard because mm. last night you saw the, the best, well, I say last night, yesterday afternoon, I watched it back last night, which is why maybe I'm getting a bit confused. But 
you watch this performance and you saw class, you saw elegance, you saw intelligence, you saw brilliant movement. And sometimes it's not even about what he does on the ball. It's the runs that he makes in the movement to sort of drag people out of position. And I was really, really impressed by the the way that our front line was so interchangeable yesterday. And that comes with playing a false nine. People have been saying all season, Arsenal need a nine, Arsenal need a nine. Well, we've got 16 goals in four games now. So maybe that talk needs to kind of go away, at least for a little bit. But this this thing that we've seen in recent weeks, it's not a new thing per se, but it's certainly been more noticeable. Odegaard joining in with the centre forward, whoever that centre forward is, and making it a kind of two-man press. And then that midfield becoming a bit of a flat four, I think is something that's that's been really impressive. And obviously Odegaard is... Mikel Arteta's on-the-field lieutenant. He's the intelligent one that passes on the instructions that I can imagine in team briefings kind of takes it all in and then is the one that ensures that it's carried out in the way that the manager intends. How impressed were you with him yesterday? And what have you made of his season generally? Because he's had a bit of criticism, it's fair to say. I'm really happy that you brought you um, brought up um, Odegaard because it's very easy to point the finger at uh, nicely at Rice yesterday, Saka, and call out Rice as the man of the match. I just did a show with James from Sky Sports, and this was top of my agenda to talk about Odegaard, because I felt maybe one of the reasons I think this is the most complete performance under Mikel Arteta is because he had the complete performance. And as the captain of the team, the nucleus, the one that you're expecting to create more than anyone, I thought he had that in abundance, but he also illustrated key characteristics of his player DNA and profile. Leadership, firstly, was, I thought, he did simple things yesterday, but he, he, he kind of lured players into the game with him and I really think he put the team on his back yesterday. When when Ari came on, the fact that he involved him so early, so quickly, uh, I was already thinking he had an amazing game at that point. But when he was bringing in the youngster, passing the ball to him, almost saying, go enjoy yourself, express yourself, little touches here and there, that to me is true leadership. That's captain. And I was just saying on our show, I know a lot of Arsenal fans want Dec- Declan Rice to be captain and maybe one day he will. But having seen Odegaard up close and covering him when he played for Norway against Cyprus and seeing him in the pre-match press conferences afterwards, how he handles, talks to players, fans, media, there's something about this guy that is just so calming, so understated, yet you know that he is... In him, I think, has that born leadership chip. And not a lot of players have that. And I felt like yesterday from Saka to also kind of the Havertz and how he's kind of put Havertz, you know, put his arm around Havertz and helped him not only off the pitch, but on the pitch. There were so many examples yesterday of him being the quintessential Arsenal captain. And then when you couple that with how he played. It was just amazingly beautiful. And I've often said with Odegaard that that his style sometimes, he works in the shadows. Everyone wants him to be the sexy, pizzazzy, shiny toy, put him on the shelf and show us tricks and things like that. But I love this version of Odegaard. And whether he was carrying on a knock earlier in the season, Harry, to talk about his form, 
um, and that affected him. Fatigue, I think. He played a lot of games. You know, being captain of your country comes with a lot of responsibility and accountability as well. And I think that break in Dubai did everyone the world of good. And hopefully now we'll see the best of him and more of this. Now what we want is consistency, right, for him to do this week in, week out. But I thought yesterday he was, if you're looking for an ad for the Arsenal, he was it yesterday for me. Yeah, he was superb. And I think you make a great point about his kind of style of leadership. And it, 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 I think it's like, it's a kind of a generational thing, right? So like I grew up, I started watching Arsenal in the mid nineties. That's when I can kind of remember from just before Arsene Wenger took over. And my sort of, my idea of what a captain should be in the past was a Tony Adams, was a Patrick Vieira, someone who's really tough and physical and dominant in that way, but also a very good player too. And I think over time, football has changed. I think the type of character that teammates respond to has changed. And sometimes somebody like Martin Odegaard, who is a bit more understated, isn't the intimidating type of captain, is more the kind of, I don't know if I should use this phrase, but more of a kind of teacher's pet slash goody two-shoes, but also seems very kind of grounded, down-to-earth, and as though he'd be friends with everybody rather than the guy they kind of fear and and sort of don't want to get the wrath of after any given game. I think that works nowadays. And I think we can get caught up in kind of, you know, what a captain used to be. And mm -hmm. as a result of that, we, we struggle to see how someone of his kind of demeanor could be a successful captain, but he's a great leader and he's a wonderful player as well. I love the way that he's able to just kind of change direction on a, on a sixpence, mm -hmm. like the way he can turn is unreal. There was a situation in the second half yesterday. And I know the game was done and dusted at that point, but where he got the ball sort of to the right in the corner. Yeah. And he sort of started carrying it and then he mm -hmm. turned back and then it looked like, you know, they were going to close him down that way. And he just flips back the other way. It's almost like when you get a fish, you go fishing, you catch the fish and you put it on the floor and it starts flapping one way to the other and you can't stop it. That is, is impossible to deal with. It's just unbelievable. Um, and obviously, you know, I, I think you're spot on in in the way he kind of put his arm around one area when he came on. I thought that was that was really good to see. I also think that you're right. You know, Kai Havertz, people will still say he doesn't score enough goals and he doesn't get enough assists. But I, I think it's time that we kind of put so that... Boring debate to bed now isn't it so mm -hmm. like we we can all see now why he was signed i still think there's a debate around whether he's 65 million pounds worth of player but in terms of his compatibility with the team now we're all seeing it and so the price should be a secondary point i think if if arsenal fans can get their head around you know get over the 60 65 million didn't come out of your own pocket it's not your money firstly right yeah Secondly, did we overpay based on form? Yes, we did. But sometimes you pay for pedigree and what brand equity a player has. You see a lot of younger players at City and Liverpool going for a lot of money. Why? Because they've either come through the system there or been coached under Klopp or under Pep. That adds value to your, to your market value. So Kai Havertz comes with some history and... I, again, he's another player, works in the shadows, but everyone wants him to be this, you know, Mbappe-type, you know, killer goal scorer. Um, but he's a, a player that we've been missing. What he doesn't get credit for is his athleticism, but also what he does off the ball. 
you know, Super Kev said on our show a couple of seasons ago, so, so if I've got one dream, I go, what's that? So I just want us to be a good team off the ball. And he just could never see it. Even in early in Arteta, as much as he defended him, he was like, we've got to be better without the ball. And I think last season and this season, we've definitely been that team, much better without the ball. And it's plays like Jesus, it's plays like Havertz, that everyone wants to be these banging goal-scoring machines that actually, when you look at how we play as a team, their value is very high, especially Jesus. I mean, he transformed us when he first came in. And there's a reason why Havertz gets picked. You're right. So hopefully that could start be, 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 you know, put that to bed because he's not going to be that extra razzmatazz play that you want him to be. I thought he was absolutely solid yesterday. I thought he does things that are unselfish. He cares about the team. He's not an individual superstar. I think he's a shy guy who may lack confidence at some points in his life. That's just my opinion as a human to human. And I think that affects how he performs on the pitch. But the the Odegaard kind of leadership around players like him, around a young Winery, look, what, look at Saka um, as well. I think he's been an integral, important part in, in this evolution and maturation of Arsenal this season under Arteta. And yes, at times it seemed a bit too pragmatic and not as sexy as last season. But I think the players that we have now, they've all got a level head. None of our players get into trouble off the pitch. You don't hear that at the Arsenal. There's a reason why he goes after a certain player profile. Yep. And at first I was like, that's interesting how he just wants to younger players that he can mold. Does he want to control them? Is it because he wants to be the megalomaniac? But now when you're seeing this process to progress that hopefully would lead to success, it's because of the fact that he has players like Odegaard that can help him and Havertz, who has the maturity that maybe some Arsenal fans just don't see right now. I think a big part of why Arsenal were probably willing to, shall we say, overspend on Kai Havertz is the fact that I see him as a bit of a Swiss army knife in that you look at the way Mm. we utilise him one minute, you know, we're, we're, we're a bit short in midfield. We don't quite have, um, you know, the, the midfield pivot that maybe we want. We haven't had Partey and, and Rice together all season. Um, you know, Fabio Vieira was maybe a contender for that left eight spot, not been available since November. Have no idea when he's coming back. Um, you look at Emile Smith-Rowe, who unfortunately hasn't been able to stay fit. And Mikel Arteta has been able to trust Kai Havertz to fill in and play that role. And not only does he operate as a kind of attacking midfielder, which is what you would have expected him to be when he came in. He's able to use his athleticism, as you explained, his physical stature and his his kind of work rate to be able to kind of chip in defensively as well, which has really, really helped us Mm. at great times of need. There have been games where we've needed a more um, physical centre forward because we wanted to be a bit more direct. We've needed someone that can run channels, which I think Kai Havertz is also capable of doing. And he's filled that role really, really well and facilitated others. Not always, again, applied the finishing touches that you're hoping. And he hasn't always been great in front of goal, but there are other things to his game. And I think the fact that he can be utilised in such a multitude of different ways is why maybe, and this is just a theory, but it's why maybe Arsenal went... Yeah, you know what? This is probably going to cost us a little bit more than we'd have liked to pay. But actually, we'd be getting 
a two in one or a three in one because he can play in midfield. He can fill in Odegaard's role. He's done that as well. If you need him to, he can play as a centre forward. He can play as the left eight. It, it, it just feels to me like he's got a lot more to his game than maybe I thought before we signed him in terms of the defensive side. He helps us defend corners because of his size and stature as well. And 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 I just think that, yeah, maybe it's taken a little bit of time for us to all see it, but now we are seeing it. I've been, mm-hmm. been really, really impressed. And, and one of the things I always get in the comments, so if I always get people going, oh, you're always trying to overplay what Kai Havertz's contribution was to kind of just to try and justify the signing. Why would I do that? Like, why do I care about ju- trying to justify one particular signing? Fabio Vieira, in my opinion, up until now, has not been a successful signing for Arsenal. He was Great. signed by the same manager, the manager that you will swear that I would go to any length to defend. I'm happy to say that that one wasn't successful because I don't think it has been. And I think there have been a number of others as well. But I really do think that Kai Havertz adds something to the squad. In an ideal world, if Partey, Rice and Odegaard are all available, I don't think he starts in midfield for what it's worth. But for now, he's doing a really good job. Um, do you want to add can anything I, can to I that? Just, can I just yeah. add about the, um, the versatility? He's like a hybrid, yeah. right? Yeah. And why do you think Sir Alex Ferguson kept Phil Neville at United for all those years? Because he could play in a variety of positions, okay? There's a few plays like that. Our strategic vision kind of for that player profile has changed because Arteta's no longer looking for specialists. He's looking for football players who have versatility. Ben White, you could say, when he was signed, you know, he's played in that midfield role. Brighton, he's played at centre-back. Jurian Timber, haven't got to see the best of him. However, he has that versatility. Um, I'm not sure uh, Kivior had it before, but he's learning it now. Tomiyasu. Um, plays that left centre-back position for Japan, but, you know, got bought at Arsenal to be a right-back. Gabriel Jesus plays down the middle, can play on either flanks. So it's a strategy. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that he went after a player like Havertz. It's the Chelsea stigma, Harry. That's all it is. If he'd have come from Germany right now, fans would be saying, give him a chance, let him settle in. But it's because he's come from he's come from Chelsea, and because after the Champions League goal, in many people's opinions, he didn't do very much. But that hybrid player, I think we're seeing that in a variety of positions now at uh, at the club. Yeah, and I, I've mentioned this um, this strategy around looking at versatility above everything else in the past. And I actually thought during January when we were well before January, but when we were discussing it in the January window, I actually said that I felt like at times as good as that can be, it would be our undoing in that you've got someone that you look at and you say, well, he's going to play in three or four positions for me. But if he picks up an injury, it's still only one body. And it's still a a player that you've lost then that could have covered three or four positions and it can leave you short in multiple areas. But whether you agree Mm -hmm. with that strategy or not, and I think I just about think there's more positives to it than negatives. It is the strategy that Arteta has clearly adopted. So I think for people to still be kind of confused and, and, and sort of trying to figure out what the, what the idea behind it is, I, I think you're obviously a little bit behind the curve because, <laughs> and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it's, it's been obvious to see for a number of years. Look, we're going to take a really, really short pause. When we come back, we're going to uh, focus on who I believe is Arsenal's unsung hero this season. The set-piece coach, Nicholas Yeova, what a difference he's made since he's arrived at the football club. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna. 
Welcome back to the show. As you can see, I'm delighted to be joined by the brilliant Sophie Nicolau of the Highbury Squad. Um, you all know what the Highbury Squad is. If you haven't subscribed, uh, you can click on the name Highbury Squad in the title of this video if you're watching us on YouTube and it'll take you straight over to Sophie's channel. Subscribe. She does some brilliant work with Super Kevin Campbell and a load of other brilliant guests as well. I mean, I sit there sometimes and wonder, where or how you get in touch with these people so that's the level uh get like, like how, i don't know how you find them but it's brilliant um it's brilliant uh, when i'm people... ready when i'm ready to retire i'll hand that baton <laughs> over to you or tom canton maybe we'll do one of those celebrity death match things to see who gets my contact book <laughs> just throw the little black book over um but yeah um give it a plug let people know how they can find you i've already mentioned youtube but let people know how they can follow you on socials and, and all the rest of it yeah, at Highbury Squad um, and at Soccer Diva for me. But yeah, the channel more so, more important. We just did an interview this morning with James Green from Sky, who's spent a lot of time with Mikel over the last uh, two seasons. So it's always great to get his insights. And I love that you wanted to talk about him because funnily enough, last week's show with Stevie Nicol and uh, Paul Buckle, ex-Luton manager, um, I got into the nuts and bolts of Mikel and like the process, progress, um, to perfecto. Oh, of course, that has to come with winning something. But yeah, some interesting conversations of the last two Monday shows, if you want to go check them out, that dive a little deeper into the evolution of um, of Mikel and, uh, and the team. Yep. Brilliant stuff. Make sure you head over to the Highbury squad and check all that out. Um, so, I mean, I remember a time where we were bloody useless from set pieces and we'd <laughs> get a corner. Not that long ago, Harry. Yeah, not that long ago. We'd get a corner. Everybody would be excited and I'd be standing in the stadium going, well, we're not going to score from this. So what's the bloody point? <laughs> um, and, and then you look at how vulnerable we were defensively from set pieces as well. The transformation in that particular area has been outstanding. And I don't think that Nicholas Yova has got enough credit in recent times. You know, recent examples are the Palace game two set-piece goals set us on our way to towards three points. And that puts you in a great position when maybe you're struggling to break down a low block. And again, yesterday, two of our goals came from set-pieces. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we just seem to be such a big threat with that. I think going into yesterday's game, someone said to me that it was 20 or 30% of our league goals were, were set-pieces. I, yeah. I haven't checked that out, but that's that's an incredible statistic. It is. I think 11 from corners and 16 overall from set pieces. You've got four. It includes pens as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Of yeah, yeah. You've got um, four from Saliba and Gabriel. Gabriel XL. My God. Oof, that's a whole other conversation. But he's risen to the occasion in this role. So it's funny, um, Harry, because we're talking with James about fine margins because the conversation with Raya and Ramsdale comes comes up. And I didn't like that at all. But I think, you know, I'm also someone who says, okay, at the time, I didn't like the decision, but is it the right decision? At this point, in terms of our defensive record and looking at the team, you would say that that's been a good decision. Fine margins, right? Did he have to make that choice and decision? No. But when you look at how do you get to the point of beating City, what is going to be your point of difference? For me, as Mikel Arteta, i got to change my goalkeeper because I want to play this way. All right. As me, Sophie, I don't get that. And I go off and not particularly happy. However, you know football better than I do. Here we are. Set pieces, the difference between beating City or Liverpool or not. 
these are the small things that really good managers um, evolve every season or discover every season. What is going to help me have the extra edge? Is it going to be throw-ins? Which, by the way, Ben White shouldn't throw the ball in anymore. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> is it going to be set pieces? And to see this evolution and how they line up, and you're much better at tactics than me, but I love this bravado of before it would always be like the number nine, the big number nine, going off a little Harry and then coming back into the space where the defenders <laughs> occupy. Now you've got like four potential goal scorers, five, all lining up in an offside position and moving and moving as a symphony almost, moving at the right time. I haven't been caught offside doing that a lot. And it's these small inches, as, as Al Pacino said in Any Given Sunday, inches, right, that make the difference. And I think he deserves a massive round of applause. I think it's enabled us to have an edge and I always used to say to Super Kev, Harry, if my def- if my if my set piece taker isn't clearing the first defender, I'm finding him every single time. And one of the things James said on our show, finding the right person to take those set pieces as well has been important. And Declan Rice's delivery has been brilliant. So I think this is if it continues, I think this is a major X factor for us. It's clear that a lot of work's gone into it as well, because as yeah. you said, it, it's like a symphony; like it all works really well it's like we get a corner and everybody knows exactly where they need to be and what they need to be doing and there's so much variety in our set piece routines as well sometimes we put it into the back post sometimes we put it into the near post sometimes it's a short one and the 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 taker will get it laid off back to him and he'll make a run in towards the box sometimes we work it to the corner of the box and we change the angle from which the cross is coming in there's so much variety it means that so much is going in and going back to the point we were making about Arteta profiling people and making sure that he gets certain types of players in, clearly height is something that he's big on as mm-hmm. well with the set-piece strategy in mind because, you know, we talked about Kai Havertz being a bit of a Swiss army knife. Well, height is another thing that he has um, at his advantage. So it's certain. And again, look at the fullbacks that we're playing with. Look at the profile of fullbacks. Ben White is built like a centre-back. I know Zinchenko plays most of the time, but Kivior is built mm-hmm. like a centre-back because he is one. Uh, Tommy Asu built like a centre-back as well. There's clearly a real emphasis on that. And I, and I think you're right about the small margins. You know, games will often be tight and set pieces can tip a game in your favour. And we used to be on the receiving end of that stuff all the time. Right? If you all go the time. back to the Bolton days, Sam Allardyce, he, he just used, they were nowhere near as good as us, but they were able to to hit us in those types of situations and we just couldn't recover. can often get your nose in front from that kind of thing and it, it makes the world a difference. I'm just really, really pleased that the coaching is getting through mm-hmm. because it's very easy to do these things on the training ground and, and perfect them, but then to go and do them and carry them out in match situations is, is another thing. And I, imagine the satisfaction that somebody like Nicholas Yova will feel when he's standing on the sidelines. He's telling them, Set piece routine number three, and they're they're pulling it off. They're scoring from it. It's just brilliant to see. It, it really, yeah. really. You is. can you can sense that in the celebrations too. Uh, yeah. You know, Saliba and Gabriel, especially James, was saying it wouldn't surprise him if those two have a bet going to see who can score the <laughs> most headers from set pieces. I could totally see that um, as well. But the delivery has been everything, and as we all know, nothing's going to happen 
unless you've got someone who can really deliver a ball from a dead ball situation as well. And that has been a major difference uh, to the set piece situation. But it's great to have that edge and a little bit of a fear factor. I mean, we needed to have a little shithousery, a little physicality, um, Harry, which this Arsenal team has lacked for many, many seasons. And, uh, you know, whether you were an Arteta in or out person, whether you loved him in the beginning or not or in the middle, you cannot deny that we have become a more physical side, a more competitive side, a side that is a little harder to beat. Yeah, maybe not in some games, but there's something physical about this team um, that is really beautiful to watch because we were used to that back in the day. Um, And I like the way how he balances it too. You've got, like, for me, Saliba and Gabriel are beauty and the beast. You know, <laughs> then you've got this Ben White, Saka situation going on the right. You know, big brother who just wants his, like, little brother to go out and have a good time. And he's willing to do all the dirty work behind the scenes to make sure that happens. There's so many units and things to be proud of in this team that he has evolved and that he deserves credit for. And I think... You know, the set piece thing is uh, an, another one that he deserves a lot of patting on the back for. Lots of small advantages can end up becoming a big advantage, right? And just to kind of circle back to the, the point you made about the goalkeeping situation as well. I, I was like you, right? I wasn't convinced by David Raya at the beginning of his Arsenal career. I, I'd be lying if I said now that I think he's perfect or that I think... You know, it's it's clear and obvious, as the the PGMOL would say, that Mikel Arteta has made the right decision uh, with this. But then over the course of the last few weeks, I think you've started to see maybe a little bit more of what David Raya's about. Like Ramsdale's a great goalkeeper in his own right. No question about that in my mind. But there was a piece that uh, I think um, Tim Stillman wrote on Arsblog uh, maybe about a week ago now, where he highlighted a stat. He said last season... Aaron Ramsdale caught 5.8% of the crosses that came into the Arsenal area in the Premier League. Raya's managed to catch 15.3%. That's three times as much. Now, it's not to throw shade at Ramsdale, because as I say, I think he's a really good goalkeeper in his own right. But clearly, there's a very particular skill set that Mikel Arteta is after. And then when you add to that, I think Raya's distribution has got better it, not just with his feet, but his ability to launch balls out to Martinelli in particular. We've seen that happen twice in a couple of games to really, really good effect. Mm. It just feels like all the pieces are kind of starting to come together now. Is there a part of you that that looks at the team now? And look, I was listening to the radio today and, and Arsenal was six to one, apparently, to go on and win the league, which feels a bit big for me, considering it's a three horse race. Mm. And, and, you know, if I were a betting man, I wouldn't be betting on Arsenal. I think that Man City are probably still going to win it. But probably. Do you get the feeling this season that we might peak at the right time as opposed to last season where we were up here and by the business end, we were dead on our feet? I, I don't know. Like, is that me just kind of trying to hold on to something? I, I, I don't know. But I really do get this feeling at the moment. No, I there's a. As you know, I'm in the States and there's a term that a lot of players and coaches use, just get me to the playoffs, right? Yeah. And for me, when March hits, it's like the playoffs. Every single game counts throughout the season in the Premier League, 
We say every week, it's almost like, oh my God, I've had a hiccup phone. I'm sick of my sick and tired of hearing my own voice saying every game's important. It is. But it's like when the playoffs hit, Arsenal have never been ready. Never. And last season, I think the spotlight got too bright for the Gunners. They weren't ready for it. A little bit like the previous season. And I like to see this evolution in mentality, Harry, because I've said the difference between this Arsenal team winning and losing a league title is not on the pitch with talent. It's up here. Do we have the mental capacity to be... What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Courageous and stay in the moment when it's needed the most. We've had our blip earlier this season. All right, November is not really one of our most favorite months, but Manchester City have also had their blip early this season and they start off slow. But last season, I felt that with the points that we had um, in the bag, that a mentally strong and evolved team would go on and win that. At that point, I think if Klopp or Pep, a manager of Arsenal, in that moment for that stretch, we're not losing the league. And that's no disrespect to Mikel Arteta because he's a young manager and he's learning and he's evolving too. But when you look at us this season, we're a bit dirtier, we're a bit more pragmatic, we're a bit harder to beat. Um, We can, you know, we can win ugly games. We did a little bit of that last season. But for me, the difference so far has been mental. Because people were ripping us, ripping us to shreds early, West Ham and Fulham. They counted us out. They said we're finished. Everyone said this, the, the title race was over. Pundits, media. But we're finding a way and we're digging deep. And I think that's what you see. I think there's an evolution on the mental side because we know we're good at football. But can we match up to City and Liverpool mentally when you've got a pep and a clock behind the scenes pulling the strings? And maybe this is the season where we can do that. Let me put this question to you. If you could have the Premier League trophy or the Champions League trophy at the end of this season, which one are you taking? I've been pretty clear on what my preference is personally. And I've got a lot of stick for saying this, which is why I want to get your opinion on this. Premier League or Champions League can only be one or the other. Okay. Firstly, how has nobody asked this question yet? Brilliant. Okay. Uh, Secondly... This feels like that scene in Sophie's Choice. It's an older movie with Meryl Streep, but I'm an Agojagari. I'm old. Where she's like, you know, son, daughter, take my daughter. It's like, which one of your children do you love the most, Harry? You have two of them. (laughs) It's hard, right? I would say for us, where we have to start is to be champions of England. And because I think that, There'll, there'll be someone somewhere that says something stupid like, oh, you won in a year where Barcelona are shit, where Real Madrid aren't that great, where Bayern Munich are going through a bit of an evolution, where Juventus are off the face of the earth, where, where Bayern Munich just... are signing Spurs players. To... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, 
that Leverkusen game was brilliant, by the way. I loved watching that. Um, so, yeah, I would pick the Premier League. Did you pick the Champions League? I did. Why? I did. Tell me why. Because I've never seen us win it. And I've still got that yeah, 2006 experience in the back of my brain as like some kind of trauma that I need to get past. Um, and and I just feel like for me, the one jibe that Arsenal get from opposition fans that really gets under oh, my skin. Like, thing. Yeah, a lot of it goes over my head. But a lot of it, uh, but this one particular thing, it gets to me and it's the European stuff. And that is because it's bloody true. Now, when something's true, it means <laughs> and people throw it at you. That's when it hits you, right? That's when you struggle with it. I, I really do feel like the Champions League this season is at Wembley. It, it just feels like the perfect year for Arsenal to Stop win right it. there, Harry. You've sold me. I've I literally, live on air, you've like totally given a better argument as to why it's the Champions League. Wow. I agree with you. Either's amazing. There you go. It's, it's just, it feels like the Champions League is just, it's the one thing that we've never been able to get a whole, our hands mm -hmm. on. And to be able to do it, and you know, in a weird way as well, this is going to sound really stupid. And I know a lot of people are going to get a bit funny about this comment. But when I think about all the crap that Arsene Wenger went through, you know, the whole, you know, the building of the stadium, the the issues with that, the fact that he left the way he did and that people were glad to see the back of him. For Arsenal to to then rock up a few years after his departure, okay, but go and win a Champions League, it would kind of be a bit of a tip of the hat to him, I think, as well, because the club is the size it is because of him to a point. Like the, the global size of Arsenal Football Club is has a lot to do with Arsene Wenger. And, and I feel like Arteta, one of his disciples, if you like, someone that we know that Mikel Arteta is in constant contact with, I think it would just be, not that it would be about him, it would be about Arteta, it would be about Arsenal and this group of players. But I just think everybody associated with Arsenal just needs that to be the kind of mm -hmm. capping point of, you know, that, that process that we've been through or that journey that we've been on is a better word. Over the last yeah, I don't year. feel that way. I don't feel that way about the Wenger thing, but that's maybe because I'm a little bit too bitter still about the ending, and I need to get over that. Eventually, I think I will, and I, that doesn't take away all the things that he did. I mean, massive. I mean, Arsenal's, I think, global profile changed, you know, in, in 89, uh, and then evolved from there. But, yeah, when you... The, the likes that most players now, when you hear about why they wanted to play for Arsenal, and they say Thierry Henry or Patrick Vieira or the Invincibles. I mean, that was a massive moment. I feel like in some ways that's been a blessing and a curse to go yeah. invincible. Um, and you, so... You're not going to match it, right? So everything no. below that is going to be disappointment or seen. And the good. fact that we haven't won the title since, which is why I always lean towards being champions of England. You know, we've done it. Because that's a stigma too. And even though we've won it before, it is a monkey that we absolutely have to get off our back. But I hear what you're saying about Europe, and I'm convinced by um, your your perspective on it. Because the last time we won, Kevin Campbell was playing, you know, and we don't have pedigree in the Champions League. And we have one final, and I can see why you'd want to get that monkey off your back. But... I find it a stretch to attribute it a little bit to the Wenger. 
Yeah, may, maybe maybe I haven't phrased that in the best way. It's not that I would attribute it to Wenger. It's that I just feel like Arsenal is a giant of a football club. And it, it, it mm-hmm. was always a giant of a football club. But I really feel like in among the, the crap that happened at the end of the Wenger reign and, and the way he left and all the rest of it, there was a lot of work that took the club from one level to another level in terms of the way it was seen. And actually the problem that we've had under um, Arsene Wenger and then Unai Emery and Mikel Arteta up to this point towards in the second half of Wenger's tenure is that the club became a bit of a sleeping giant. And so to be able to kind of reignite what the club should be and and to be able to, to see you know, Arsenal go and win the the one that's at the pinnacle at the very top of the game. It would be a testament to everybody that's been a contributor to Arsenal's growth as a football club. I, I get maybe that. I'm just being too. No, 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 no. I yeah, that's I love that because you still have that romantic part of the narrative, and I think there's a lot to be said about that. And there's a lot of fans that feel that uh, that same way. I'll tell you this, and maybe I'll double down on you thinking it's what you were saying. You know, was maybe out there a little bit. I believe if Mikel Arteta wins the Champions League with this Arsenal team this season under a monetary, an instant gratification world that we live in, under an era where Spanish teams have spent and fallen and risen and Manchester City and Liverpool and the juggernaut that PSG kept throwing money in the ring to win it, I would put that achievement up there with Anfield 89, the Invincibles, and him winning the ch- I would put it on an equal pegging in terms of the moment, what it means, the achievement, and how you did it, and with the squad that you did. I think that would be monumental. And I see what you're saying on a global level. Champions League is like the World Cup final. I mean, people in the States, everywhere in the world, everyone goes nuts for the Champions League final. And there are probably more eyeballs on that than there are people watching the ending of the Premier League season. So I totally hear that. But I would put him up there with those two managers with that achievement. Yeah. Is that a stretch for you? No, 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 not at all. Because it's the one that nobody ever got their hands on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's you'd go down in the history books forever. And also, like, thinking a bit outside of the box, what a win that would be for KSE. You know, Oof. they've had so much stick for the way they've run the club and rightly so a lot of the time but in the last few years it really feels like they've kind of gone particularly after the whole Super League debacle it feels like they've gone you know what this is quite the football club this is quite the community this is really really special and we need to actually take care of this thing in the way that it deserves in order to get the absolute max out of it and and Mm -hmm. for it to thrive and if they were the ownership that delivered the Champions League after what happened with the Super League just a few years ago, that would be the the point at which the turnaround is complete, in my opinion. Yeah. I know some I've... people will say Premier League, but for me, being it's the one that we've never done, that it just trumps it just ever so slightly. The league is special as well, but... I just, I don't know, man. I, I want to buy a replica trophy of the Champions League. <laughs> a, a, a real life-size one. And I want it in the man cave. That's what I want. Red and white ribbons on it. Oh, yeah. The only, the, the closest I think any of us have got to that is probably on a new camp tour, you know, yeah. in Barcelona, <laughs> lifting it above your heads in the... Um, you know, what's really funny is uh, there's, 
there's something to be said about moments like this, you know, and I don't know, like Champions League versus Premier League. And I don't know if I could take it, Harry. I Listen, when Tottenham got to the final against Liverpool, I went running that day. I went long like Forrest Gump. I'm like, I cannot take this. It was worse than us being in the final. Because as a fan, you accept, look, there's only two ways this is going to go. But watching them have that day out and knowing what it feels like to be in a Champions League final, those things irritated me like even more so than, you know, them. The, the, the whole experience factor irritated me that their fans got to, to do that. But um, there's something, I, I don't know if I could watch it. I could, I probably would, and I'd probably be there. But my goodness, Harry, now at this level, knowing we've got a team that could win something like that, could how do you, how would you do your commentary, BBC Radio? How would you get through that? I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, I lose my shit in the press box when we score goals against Bournemouth. So I, I don't know what I would do in that situation. It was quite funny, actually. I don't think I told this story. Um, on the pod so uh, I, I won't say what game it was because I don't want to like create a situation with um, a sort of colleague but there was a colleague from another a local BBC radio station who was sitting a few seats down from me at a recent game and when his team scored um, he went absolutely mad and he was definitely definitely giving it to me I, i'm sorry he, he'll he probably deny it but he was definitely looking <laughs> at me and he was definitely fist pumping and, and giving it all sorts and when we then went on to score in that same game i lost all professionalism i lost all semblance of where i was and i gave it back 10 times more and then i sat down and thought shit i hope no one saw that <laughs> <laughs> but it happens it happens i, I have Your commentary on the bournemouth goal though that was that was the, great. I've got. Was I it think the, I've got the trust. Have I got the trust? Which one did one? I play to? Um, who did I? I played it to Peter Drury. Yes. Which yeah. one was it? The was it the trust? Was it? No, that would have been the Bournemouth one. I think the Bournemouth one. Yeah. I've got. I've got the Trossard one here from from Liverpool the other week. Um, if we get up to a hundred likes, then I'll play it before we uh, we Epicness. wrap up the show. <laughs> we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll bribe them, get some likes in, and then you'll have to turn your volume down because uh, if you're watching this with headphones, you're going to be deafened. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> but Wembley Stadium, Harry, Champions League. We love Wembley. Oh. We love to win a trophy at Wembley. It would be perfectly Arsenal to do such a thing. Yeah, it, it would, wouldn't it? It really, really would. I, I was going to do a section on Arteta's evolution as a coach, but I feel like we've kind of covered that a lot already. Um, so maybe we won't do a full section on that, but are you, I mean, he's had some questions asked of him this season at various points. There was this mm -hmm. chat that maybe he'd overcomplicated things, but changing it from last season, I think you do constantly need to evolve, but there was a general feeling that the balance in midfield in particular had been upset. Now that the midfield seems to have come good, do you have any other kind of qualms, if you like, with Mikel Arteta, or, or are you pretty happy with the direction in which he's, he's steering us at the minute? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's so funny, isn't it? Pep Guardiola wins the league without a striker and is lauded like the second coming. Oh, my God. 
And, I, you know, you can't, this is why Mikel doesn't catch a break because he hasn't really won anything major yet. Yeah. There's no, and, there's no credit with people outside no. of Arsenal. He's got no brand equity as a winner. He's got a lot of brand equity as a young, hot coach. And by hot, I don't mean by looks, guys, and it doesn't bat for my team. He's that too, but, to be fair, too. He's a good-looking lad. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you like that kind of thing. And he's uh, he's he's one of the hottest commodities in football, whether you like it or not. His brand equity as a manager has been elevated last season and this season. His brand equity as a winner is at zero, which is why he gets no respect from pundits, from ex other, from managers, from the media. That's why. For me, one of the things I've stopped doing is, and I think this comes with age a little bit, expectations, right? I used to lose my rag a little bit more. I was saying on the show today, I'd get upset about things, things I couldn't control. And I've stopped doing that a little bit. And I also started analyzing and reading about sports a little bit differently. And one of the things that triggered that was his comment about journey versus destination, Harry. And in a nutshell, you know, I think when things happen in life, you really do look at your journey versus the destination. Because as humans, there's only one place we're all going. So what are yeah. you doing in between? And I think that's what he meant by, I went back and I studied more, the journey, the journey. It's about losing to Fulham in a bad way, but then going and thrashing West Ham 6-0. It's about being in Dubai with your teammates and bonding on another level that maybe takes you to another level. For me, what he's done as a fan, and, you know, I did criticize Miteta Mikel a lot in his first year and a half. For me, the journey he's given me as a fan has made me fall in love with my football club again. Yeah. Now, I also am a businesswoman and I like to make money and I like to win. And he needs to start doing that. And he's been given a lot to be able to do that. And so at some point you've got to start delivering. But for me, it's the journey part that I think he's given to fans. And I think he's being humbled a little bit and you're seeing him maybe understand that he can't win the way he wants. And he too has to be adaptable and have the same courage he expects from his players. Yeah. I think the journey piece is, is really, really important. I think, I don't know about you, and I know you've been working in, in this sort of business for a lot longer than I have. Um, and, and maybe, you know, you can speak on this as well in a, a far better way than I can. But I feel like when you're so desperate to achieve something that you can quite easily forget how good the journey and the ride was and mm -hmm. forget how you felt at certain points in it and at certain moments in it. Like, you know, let's say, for example, in my case, you want to become a commentator. You can forget how excited you were the day before your first ever commentary, because once you've achieved that, you then want another one and another one and another one and another one. And it's the same with fans and wanting their club to get to that destination of glory where you've won the biggest trophies, the ones that you're desperate to see and all the rest of it. You can forget that along the way you need to take a pause, take a bit of a breather, look around your, the room and go, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm in a bloody good place today. And I think that kind of hit me at the end of the year that's just finished because I remember putting up like a Facebook post or whatever it was, Instagram, where I like went through my year and I like collated some of like the best pictures mm -hmm. and like was like, thanks to all these amazing people that I work with. And, and, and only when I sort of sat down and actually paused to look at all the things that I got to do last year, did I go bloody hell, like 
that was a really amazing year. Mm-hmm. And and that's the bit about the journey. Like you you don't take that in on the journey. And so it's easy as fans to not enjoy those moments as individual moments and, and what they are because you're too obsessed about where you're going to get in the end and you're too obsessed about what that results in. But then when you get there, if you haven't enjoyed the journey, how long is that going to last? You know, yep. you, you need to enjoy it all the way through. And, it's and a I great, it's a great, a great point. point. No, I mean, and I saw your reel, by the way, very good. I'm very proud of you, but you know that Thank already. You. And, um, you know, this is where I put my film entertainment brain on, right? You're on a film set and you're making a film. And all the audience sees is they go at 340, they've got their popcorn, their Coke, and hopefully not annoying sweets that make you crunch when you're watching a film, people, because <laughs> I'll smack you if you do that. And it becomes this like huge success or it bombs. You've worked nine months on a film from inception to delivery and you are it's it's on the end of the rope of the hope that people go to see it when it works it's so gratifying and satisfying and it's the same like Mikel Arteta these players they're painting pictures they're telling stories for us fans George Graham did the same thing Arsene Wenger did the same thing sometimes they're horror stories and sometimes they're like Disney fairy tales yeah. But all of the stuff in the middle, like I remember, you know, the the 90s, right? I remember bitching about having to go to Wembley for Champions League games and being so aggravated and so – but now I look back on that and I think, oh, my God, we had so many laughs when we had to go play the Champions League at Wembley. It's little things like that, let alone winning titles and winning trophies and stuff like that. So, yeah, the journey is really something I think and I hope more people – focus on not only in sports but also i think we we miss the boat sometimes in our own lives you yeah. know um so that's really important and the journey's fun right now being an arsenal fan yeah it is it is it really is and and another thing that kind of drove that point home to me was listening to Thierry Henry speaking on um was it Stephen Bartlett's podcast i think it was i don't want to give credit to the wrong person I, i'm pretty sure it was um i thought it was really interesting to listen to him Someone who had all those moments in his career, never enjoyed them at the time, never even processed really what he'd achieved. And only at the end, he kind of looked back and and, and when he had to kind of come to terms with the fact that he was no longer going to be competitive at that level, he didn't know what to do with himself. And, do you think and, that's a generational thing, Harry? Uh, to a point, yeah, because I think like you you grow up watching a tougher generation like that. That's what our parents are, like a tougher generation to us. Like you mm-hmm. think we graft, they grafted 10 times harder and their parents probably grafted 10 times harder than them because I think life's got easier in some ways. I feel like this is a great philosophical conversation. But like life's got, life's got easier in a lot of ways. In some ways, it's more difficult as well. I accept that. But in a lot of ways, it's t- it's easier than it was in the past. And I think you can get caught up in this mentality of, I need to keep working hard because of A reason, B reason, C reason. Mm-hmm. But you can forget to enjoy the good bits. And actually, sometimes you get so caught up in what you're doing that you forget that you're not, you know, that you need to actually have a breather. And like, we're not machines. Right? right. You know, you need to have that bit of emotion sometimes and, and enjoyment. I agree. And, you know, see, the destination has always been the same. 
let's say we're talking about football. The destination's yeah. always been the same. The vehicle to get there is what's changed. Everything else around football, Super Kev will tell you this, you know, talk to Warren Barton, players from the 90s, um, you know, Stevie Nichol. They'll tell you that football is still football. And I know some of these older players get a little, like, heat for saying those things. And they're not talking about tactics. And they're just like, as a footballer, you want to play football, you want to win. The vehicle to get to that destination is what's changed, i.e. technology, tactical nuances, um, younger managers, hybrid players, you know, but pile them in the car and get to the destination. It's that's, and it's the same, like our parents, like my parents didn't get to work from home. We get to work from home, right? So we get more time with the kids maybe, or we got more time with family. Um, But our parents, they left the house and they came back and it was dark and maybe the in-between stuff in the week, they didn't enjoy as much either. And I do feel like there's a this emphasis now since COVID, I think, on quality of life yeah. and being able to enjoy moments. And I don't think that football is any different. Footballers are any different to us in that regard. Yeah, you're right. They didn't get to work from home. My dad is a taxi driver. And when he, could, when he didn't know where a road was, he didn't have a smartphone to type no. it in on on Waze or Google Isn't Maps. Isn't that and crazy? Away. He had to sit there with the A to Z, the book, open it up, find <laughs> where he was going and then try and figure it out. So you're right. You know, we've got a lot more, I would say, conveniences in, in mm. life nowadays. And 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 that can make us spoil a little bit. And then we become spoiled when it comes to football as well. And it's just all a vicious cycle. But anyway, um, final thing I want to touch on before we go. Um, Eddie and Ketia. Now... I've said for a long time that I don't think he's quite good enough to lead the line for Arsenal, that there are limitations to his game, in my opinion. I still think he's a very good Premier League forward in his own right. I just don't think that he's at that elite level whereby we can really rely on him to do all the things that Mikel Arteta demands of a nine. Mm. Arteta's always been really positive about him in the way he's spoken. And he's given him loads of chances. Like he's turned to him when Jesus hasn't been available, generally speaking, over the course of the last season and a bit. He has, um, you know, driven the club forward in terms of getting him to sign a new deal, which I think was partly due to retaining his value and all the rest of it. But I kind of feel like in the last two weeks, we've seen maybe the writing appear on the wall for Eddie and Ketia because if he is someone that Arsenal have on their books as a centre-forward, Yet in two games, two successive games that Gabriel Jesus has not been available, he's been overlooked for two players that you would argue are not natural centre forwards. That kind of says a lot, doesn't it? Where are you at in terms of Eddie Nketiah? I mean, I thought he was going to leave in the summer anyway, but now I'm certain he's going to leave. Your thoughts? I've never really been a massive fan, but I've really respected when the big moment that came for him last season, Harry, when Jesus got injured, was it in the October and he was out for three months and he came in and early um, had a massive impact, scored goals, more goals than Jesus, right? Um, But I think when you are playing with super intelligent players around you, and this is a knock on Eddie being a smart person in life, I just don't think he's the smartest footballer. I don't think he thinks about running certain channels the way Jesus does or, or, playing off the ball the way he does. 
uh, or thinking two steps ahead of a pass from Odegaard that maybe other players who've got a bit more experience and been in those high-octane moments are able to um, execute. So I, I, I do think, though, that he'd probably be great at a Crystal Palace, you yeah. know, or even a Sheffield United. I think he'd be a little star at one of those teams. It's just the level now at Arsenal has gone up a couple of notches and whether or not he has the talent to be able to do what Mikel wants is another thing. And just lastly on that, we all want the Haylenders to be superstars. We want to support them. We want them to be successful, but not every Haylender is Saka or has Saka's quality. And I think that is another thing um, that's just been tough for, for Eddie. But yeah, for me, I think you, you sell him. And again, fans would have, Pride Wolf if they'd have let him run down his contract. Same thing with Aaron Ramsdale, but they've re-signed them for a reason. They're assets, and they're going to be big assets in the summer, both of them. Yep, they will be indeed. And that homegrown factor as well works wonders for your books if you're trying to get around uh, the uh, the mm-hmm. new profit. They're not new rules, but the profit and sustainability rules that somebody's actually decided to enforce now uh, all of a sudden. Magic, <laughs> oh, hey? Yeah, it's amazing what happens when you've got an independent regulator breathing down your neck. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's just take a couple of your questions before we go. We're just going to take a couple because we've massively overrun. Thank you, Sophie, for your time because I know you're very, very busy. Um, what That's are... what happens when you get – I do this to you all the time, Harry, two Greeks and uh, don't – you know, All just... we're missing is a Greek coffee. We should have made no. one each end. And, and I have an Italian there. one here. Shame on me. Oh, what are you doing? Uh-huh. They always try and say that their food's better. Than so much coffee in Cyprus, dear God! Can I just I mean, say, am I able to say on your? Maybe I shouldn't share that. Go on. It's a great laxative as well, isn't it? A Greek coffee. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's great. Everything really. It, it's got so many uses. It's a bit like Kai Havertz. It's got plenty of different uses. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's uh, let's take this one from Jim. This one's for you, Sophie. He says, uh, question for Sophie. What's your mindset with Arteta now? Are you still not sold on him or has your opinion changed? You've said loads of positive things about him tonight. So it's clear that you really respect the job that he's doing and stuff. Yeah. What, I'm all, I, I'm all, God, sorry, Harry. Do you have another caveat to that? I, I was just going to say, like, what's been your kind of journey with Arteta since the beginning? Because obviously at the beginning, you had your doubts uh, like a lot of people. I had my doubts at times as well. Um, but I, in, in the last season and a half, I think all of that doubt for me has gone in terms of he's taken us in the right direction. Whether he's the man to get us over the line eventually or not, it's still up for debate. But the journey's been one that's been bumpy. But for me, I'm in a place now where I'm really comfortable in the fact that he's on the right track. Is that kind of where you're at? Is your opinion a bit different? Yeah, he's kind of like that family member that you're not quite sure about and everyone keeps telling you. A lot of people say, oh, you know, they're a good person. You'll Come on, give them a chance. And there's others saying, oh, no, don't trust them. You know, I feel like I'm lean, I've leaned more since last season and this season towards give the guy a chance, but yep. a chance that ends with uh, an, uh, the importance of winning. And, you know, being, he's been given an ama- amazing opportunity. He's been in a luxury position, unlike some other managers. He's been given the keys to the kingdom. He is the Don of the Arsenal, whether people like it or not. And so I've started more, like I said, getting myself involved in the journey versus yeah. the destination and reminding myself why I'm a football fan or a sports fan 
to begin with. But I think it's undeniable that he hasn't made Arsenal better. I think if you're still on that train, thrashing him for like being crap, I just don't get that. I really don't. And I always hold my hands up and say, yeah, wanted him fired after he lost to Emery in the semi-final of the Europa League. I don't think that's acceptable to be to lose to the guy that you replaced. So that's where I was at. So my journey kind of accepting him has been from that moment. Ivan says, Sophie, what positions would you target in the summer to improve the squad? Now, this is one that you probably need to think quite a bit about, but in, in terms of like off the top of your head, what are the positions that you look at and think? Still a little bit vulnerable there. Yeah. If we get another 15 goals from four different players, you can squash that centre-forward thing, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I was telling Kevin and Tom, and they were like, nah, what? You agree with Harry? I heard a show of yours maybe a month or two ago, Harry, where you okay. put the question out there as to whether or not you felt we might need a left-back. Yes. And I was, I was like all in on that. Because I was like, Tommy Asu's injury prone, Zinchenko's injury prone, Kivio's not his natural position, Timber, who knows how he's going to come back. We don't know anything about this guy. All that we yeah. knew was he was a great player at Ajax and he shone in a US tour. So for me, I've actually been looking at left back, right back. Um, I think we need a centre back uh, and someone in midfield. And a right winger to cover for Saka. Again, is Reese Nelson going to be that guy? Is he going to stay long term? Is he another contract that we bagged uh, to be able to sell on? Yeah, so I definitely. still think that we're five or six players away from being, you know, super competitive and, and maybe winning the league. But those would be my positions. Not all at once, of course, but those are the positions I think the, the most important, I think, would be someone in the midfield, someone to cover Saka and a centre back. Yeah, the left back thing, look, going into the window, it wasn't the position that I was screaming out for. But when I heard that Arsenal were looking at left back, which is what the, the suggestion was at that time, I wasn't surprised by it. And I actually thought it made a bit of sense because, like you said, Tomiyasu, injury prone, Timber, out. Um, Zinchenko, defensively, very, very questionable. Kivior, centre-back, clearly not a left back. And it comes back to the point that we were discussing really early on in the show about the whole versatility thing. I've just gone through four options at right back. How many of those players were actually brought in with the intention of playing at left back? One of the four. Zinchenko, that is it. Timber was brought in as a right back slash centre back that could fill in at left back. Never played at left back in his career previously. But obviously they looked at him and thought, well, he could do that role because of the the, the requirements of it, playing that inverted position, coming in field, et cetera, et cetera. So he wasn't brought in to play as a left-back. Kivio was brought in to play as a centre-back. And Tomiyasu wasn't brought in to play as a left-back either. Not as their primary position. So although you look at it and you go, yeah, we've got loads of options, loads of people that can play there, how many of them are specialists in that position? I would argue not even Zinchenko. So that's why it kind of made a bit of sense to me. And, and it goes back to the point of you lose Timber, you lose cover at right-back, you lose cover mm -hmm. at centre-back, you lose cover at left-back. And if you don't have any specialists, in their positions, then you can end up with one or two injuries being really short across your back line. So that's why that kind of made sense to me at the time. Look, guys, uh, we're going to leave it there because uh, we've been running for uh, well over an hour. Uh, massive uh, So if you want and just give uh, your show a plug, how can people uh, follow it, find you, subscribe and all the rest of it? 
Um, follow at Highbury Squad. Give us a shot on uh, YouTube. Check out our content. We've got some good stuff from the past that is still relevant today. And check out our Monday Madness show live at 8. Um, although not today. I'm here with Harry today and I did a show earlier with James. <laughs> so other than that, come check it out. <laughs> you've, you've done your shift for today. That's enough. Yeah. That's enough. How much content you're going to make in one day. Uh, thank you guys all so, so much for joining us on another live edition, bumper edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Remember, leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Subscribe to the channel if your brand's spanking you. Turn on that little bell thing. Gives you notifications when we're live, when we've uploaded a video, etc., etc. And you know what? Follow me on TikTok at Harry Simu. I'm down with the kids lately. I've been mm. making TikTok clips out of this podcast. I'm not sitting there making specific TikTok videos. I ain't got time for that. Uh, but thank you all so much for joining us. As always, thank you, uh, Sophie. Once again, we'll be back tomorrow at some point. Not sure of the timings just yet. Uh, with another episode of the pod. Until then, take care of yourselves. Have a great day. Goodbye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.